buried, but like in a grave, not in a, just like in a well. No, I want to be buried in a grave. Okay. <laughs> like in a proper burial spot. That everyone knows about. Yeah. I don't know. I don't want a grave. Why? I don't like the idea that there's a place that my loved ones go to and be like, there's his body and this is where we be sad. You don't go to a grave and you're like, oh, I'm happy. I'm remembering them. I, I'm first. I'm for cremation. That's mm-hmm. that's what my I know bit. you are. Yeah, because then uh, environmentally it makes more sense. Mm-hmm. And um, there's no there's no space for bodies anymore. True. The ground's full of bodies. It's, it's just very creepy when you think about it. See, yeah. I think the idea of just burying a body that's creepy. I don't get that. It's not like you you don't plant it and then another human grows. True. You oh, that's get, even creepier. I wish that we reproduced that way. <laughs> <laughs> that when you die, you you get planted and then a new baby grows from that. <laughs> like a cab, like cabbage patch. That sounds great. Um, what were we saying? Oh, uh, you Oh, yeah. So me. if I'm uh, cremated, then you can be sad and think about me if you want, but there's no designated sad place. So mm. then I think that would make people be more happy when they think about me. Right. But where would you want to be then? Nowhere. You don't want... I don't even want to be anywhere now. <laughs> Let alone after I'm dead. <laughs> I have to worry about like my grave now yeah. and worms eating me. I don't know about that. I kind of like those ones where they plant you in the ground with a seed and then a tree grows. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good uh, that, I kind of but appreciate the symbolism of that. But is that not a place to be that. sad then? Yeah, I still won't do it. I like the symbolism of it, though, because something good is coming from it, like a tree is growing. Mm-hmm. What about think. something like being shot off in a firework? Sure. I think that's expensive, and it's a little ostentatious for how I live my life. <laughs> but if the opportunity presents itself, I'm telling you now, <laughs> that yeah, if, yeah. if when I die, someone's like, hey, I want to shoot him into space, and I'll do it for free. Yeah, shoot me into space. Okay. That'd be cool. I wouldn't okay. say no to that. You just float in the stars. Hey, we're all stardust, Sam. <laughs> okay. We are golden. <laughs> we reached the musical portion of the episode. Don't you love that song? Yes. You know what it is? No. Woodstock? No. Joni Mitchell? No. You don't know... Oh, I know who Joni Mitchell is. But you don't I, know the... I don't know that song. We are Stardust, we are Golden, and no. we got to get ourselves back to the garden. No. Ah, it's a good song. You should <laughs> check it out. Everyone, go check out Joni Mitchell. But this is not a Joni Mitchell <laughs> podcast, nor is it a podcast about deciding what will happen to our bodies. This is an episode of I Love This You Should Too. My name is Indy Stardust Randawa, and with me is my lovely and talented co-host... <laughs> Samantha, skull full of worms, Randawa. See, when you say it that way, that's doesn't my way gross. seem better? Well, that's what will happen. I just don't want to be burnt up. Nah, it'd be warm. It'll be so cozy. You love being cozy. I do. There's nothing cozy about a casket. Is that the final? Oh, actually, maybe. The final coziness? I think the grave is the final coziness. <laughs> I also uh, used to be, I still am a little bit, but very, very claustrophobic. And mm. my biggest fear in the world was being buried alive. Oh. Now I'm older and I realize that the chances of that happening are very low. I thought it was being barefoot in a public shower. Well, that's a realistic <laughs> fear. Oh, right. That is a good fear that everyone should have because yes. that's gross. But for an unreasonable fear, it was being buried alive. Okay. And then cremation, that takes care of all of that. You'll just be burned alive, which is, how bad could that be? It'll the be awful? quicker. Oh, it'll be quicker though. Mm, true. You don't have the fear. Just yeah. think about waking up in a coffin underground. That sounds awful. Ugh. I wouldn't like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you wouldn't? <laughs> huh. Okay. <laughs> I think most people wouldn't like that. Most people wouldn't like that. Should we start the podcast? Oh, right. We're podcast. Yeah, we even already introduced it. Oh, okay. Usually we only have about two minutes of nonsense. I think we're a little high today. <laughs> the heavy nonsense episode, guys. No, it's going to be a very spooky episode. Spooky, spooky so, in June. we are watched The Changeling, the 1980 Canadian horror classic, I dare say. And this was my pick. If you've never listened to the podcast, this is a weird one to start with, but maybe we'll get some Changeling fans because I think it's a very underappreciated movie. But how it works, we take turns picking things the other hasn't seen then probably wouldn't watch on their own. And my pick was The Changeling. I grew up loving this movie. I hadn't seen it in many years, but this 
I think may have been my first favorite horror movie. I saw it when I was very young, probably too young, but this started my love of kind of the haunted house movie. And that's still one of my favorite subgenres of horror, but we just don't get very good haunted house movies mm. these days. They're few and far between. And I think we've done probably a couple on this podcast already because mm -hmm. those are the ones that I tend to like the most. And that probably started with The Changeling. So upon this rewatch, at first I was a little concerned. It's definitely a slower movie. And it's very slow, yeah. It looks dated mm -hmm. in, in many ways. Of course, it's from 1980, so it's, it's dated because of that. You have older actors. That often kind of makes it feel like an older movie as mm -hmm. well, for whatever reason. And this movie was also a throwback for the time. Oh. Even in 1980, this was a movie that was like, oh, yeah, they're bringing back that kind of old style of horror, hmm. which I appreciate. And I think many horror fans love when old styles are brought back. Like if that happens now and they're doing a movie and I say like, oh, yeah, this reminds me of like an 80s slasher. It's a genre that does that more often, I think. But upon this last rewatch, I, I stick by it. I love hmm. this movie. I think it's very good in a lot of ways. And I think it's much more influential than perhaps it often gets credit for. But that's not the big question <laughs> here. Samantha, I loved this movie. Did you? No. What? It was good. The end? The end. Uh, no, I, um, I enjoyed it. I don't think it's one that I ever really need to watch again. And uh, it, was, uh, it was fun. Did you like it more than you thought you would after seeing like 10 minutes of it. Yes. Were you a little concerned that it's going to be an old indie movie that's no fun? Yeah, I was a little concerned as the beginning was starting and it was a lot of like things that made me think this was a really old-fashioned movie. Like what? Um, Like you said, the older cast. Um, And then it was just like a very slow-moving plot in the first like half, I guess. And it just kind of made me wonder if anything was actually going to happen in the movie. My thinking was that although slower, I, I personally like the pacing of this a lot. I thought the murder mystery part would be able to catch you. Mm -hmm. Did you enjoy that part of it? I did. Yeah, I enjoyed um, like the haunting part and the uh, like kind of unraveling what was happening in the house and who he was. Right. Um, and then it was fun when they revealed uh, that like the, the it was the senator. He was a senator, right? Yeah, I think it was or senator. something. Um, Congress or congressman, senator, but senator. Yeah. yeah, I that he was possibly um. Like a different person. A changeling. A changeling. Do you know the term changeling? I do, yeah. Do you want to elucidate for our audience? Sure. So back in the olden days, uh, parents would um, have a baby and that baby might become sickly or have a very sudden change in like temperament and they'd leave it out on a fairy hill in the forest. This isn't like anywhere near modern times, but they'd leave it out in the forest um, overnight and so the baby, the lore goes that the baby would be changed out with a different baby, like a uh, fairy baby. Oh, I heard kind of the opposite, but the same, it's probably all, all the same sort of stuff, mm -hmm. but... Because I think it's from Irish folklore for the most part. I think Probably so. other places as well. I think it's like a very European folklore thing. Definitely. Yeah. For my understanding, and it's probably all interwoven, if you had a child who became sickly or whatever, was not good in mm -hmm. some way. A bad baby. You didn't <laughs> like that baby. Yeah. They would say like, oh, that's because it's been switched out. Right. This is a fairy baby. And we think of like fun um, Tinkerbell type fairies, but yeah. fairies were like fairies creepy are bad. and bad. Yeah. They're always up to no good, those fairies. Up to no good. But you could just blame anything if your baby was, usually it was physical deformations they would often blame on. Like, oh yeah, it's been changed up for a fairy baby. That's why. Yeah, or if they were like colicky yeah. and like cried a lot and coughed and like any kind of sickness. Yeah. Anytime you start coughing and say, ah, fairy baby. Fairy baby. One of those fairy babies. <laughs> Better put her on the hill. Yeah. You put her them out back. on the hill and sometimes... 
the baby would die because it would be exposed to the yeah, elements. Yeah, because you're leaving a baby on yeah, the hill. out in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes in like the good situations, you get your baby back and they would be better, which like maybe the baby just had a cold, but like... Maybe the thinking was that that was the fairy baby and you're leaving it out there to get switched back? I think so. Okay. Yeah. So if you got like a happy baby back who didn't seem to have any of those like maladies. Maladies? Maladies. Sure. (laughs) Maladies. Those are, those are, that's a really sad form of (laughs) maladies. Maladies. So you just lay on the floor and and just cry. Cry. Um, maladies if you got a baby back who did you're not even reading what yeah i said usually that would be something if you misread something oh yeah but you were just talking (laughs) i I just wanted to make sure everyone knows that we don't have scripts or anything there's no script just maladies maladies um and then if you got like a good baby who was healthy back you got your original baby back from the fairies well all right you original baby let's uh (laughs) get back into the movie So maybe we should talk about this movie kind of chronologically, Mm -hmm. because I think this movie sets up the classic haunted house sequence. Mm -hmm. I don't think this created it. There's earlier things, and there's a lot of Amityville. You know about Amityville in the, the real world. Yeah. And the book was insanely influential and popular. I didn't realize how popular it was, but it outsold everything for of the decade or something like oh, that. Oh, wow. I don't know. I don't actually fact check anything, but it was very <laughs> popular. And its influence on movies is is big. So this one follows all of those typical haunted house beats. Like you'll start with an inciting trauma that's usually not related to the supernatural element, mm-hmm. which we get here when the his family is, uh, is killed, killed yeah. by a car. Then there's the introduction to a new environment. They move into the new house. Then it kind of starts with rising supernatural elements. Then they go on a kind of a fact-finding mission, trying to figure out what's happening. They enlisted the help of an expert or medium. Then you get into your peak haunting where everything goes crazy at the end. Mm -hmm. And then there's a resolution where everything's calm. You can look at Poltergeist or Amityville or The Changeling. Um, Even like Megan... The movie that you picked not too right. long ago follows in a lot of these yeah. as well. So this is a, a a classic tried and true method. So let's go through those beats and we can kind of talk about the sure. movie in those ways. So the inciting trauma in this one is so fast and harsh. And we see that happen in movies all the time from Get Out. I think Megan starts with a bit of a car crash too. Yeah. That is a go-to in horror movies. Why do you think they go with this sort of tragedy to start things off with? Does it help the rest of the story at all? I think it told us a lot about uh, John Russell before we... Who's John Russell? John Russell is the Is that his name? Yeah. Huh. I didn't know that. That's the character. <laughs> I always just say George C. Scott. Oh, yeah. His name is John Russell. Okay. Thank you. Um, so I think it tells us a lot about him and what his demeanor is and why it is that very quickly at the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. without having to be like, I'm John Russell and I'm a composer and this is my life and I had a wife and a child, but they're gone now. And like without that big like speech. And I think in the real world, when people talk about haunting events it's usually centered around a big change in their life Mm -hmm. whether or not you could have all sorts of theories about that (laughs) if people are just imagining it because they went through all these sort of things whether paranormal phenomena is kind of fueled by that unease in a person if you believe that it's all true Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of that and i think as we go through the movie that tragedy does pay off it's not just like here's a sad guy and now he's alone in a creepy house i think there does I think there is a, a deeper connection as things go through because he is in a haunted house with a, a child, right? Mm-hmm. And I think there's some survivor's guilt that comes through later in the movie as well. Right. Yeah. I think my favorite part of haunted house movies is kind of the rising haunting when it is still small mm-hmm. before everything gets all crazy. And in this movie... Did you find it too slow paced for that part? Yeah, I feel like it could have almost been nothing. Like 
it felt like they went in so slowly and so subtly that it could have actually just been him like hearing the house creak or whatever because this is like an, a historic mansion that he's living in but don't you find that as a good thing i kind of like the idea that at the beginning yeah it could be just an old house yeah i just i think i like movies that move past that pretty quickly not dwell on it i think i liked how slow it went because it definitely takes its time to unfold the story mm-hmm. and and the haunting it works so hard at creating this unsettling atmosphere and developing the characters mm-hmm. uh, john i was <laughs> say george uh, john and the woman who works for the historical society is that what she does yes yeah and i think that's george C. scott's wife oh i'm pretty sure interesting okay george c scott if you're not familiar is a uh, like oscar-winning actor he famously turned down his oscar which he won for either Patton or football in the groin one of those two But he uh, said, no, thank you, to his Best Actor Oscar. Oh, wow. He said, it's not a competition, guys, and (laughs) turned it down. That's Uh, impressive. Her name was Claire. Claire. But I like that we get these characters. We kind of know who they are. And by taking its time, it builds that anticipation. And I think with a horror movie, especially one that is kind of a lower budget and doesn't have all of those effects, You need to use what you can. And Mm -hmm. I think this movie does a good job at using the craft of filmmaking to pick up the slack which they lack in effects or budget and things like that. Because if you come out too hard right away, it's like a lot of haunted movies today where, okay, let's see the ghost now. Let's see the demon. Mm -hmm. And this doesn't get to that point. We get to see the boy in the water. And I think that is pretty creepy. But... It knows that it doesn't have far to go. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have something that is going to be a monster chasing you around. Right. So it has to work on those, the smaller scale and spend more of its time on the smaller scale. And I personally like it more because it seems more relatable to me. Mm -hmm. Because I'm not scared of a movie like um, Friday the 13th because I don't believe that... uh, machete wielding maniac is going to chase me so it's not personally scary right but if i was in a house and just a ball rolls down the stairs i'm like oh i thought i threw that ball away (laughs) that's scary to me that is scary that was one of the things that was like actually legitimately creepy um i liked the ball bouncing down the stairs i feel like i've seen that in other horror movies this may be the first for that particular thing and i think that that's such a creepy omen Mm -hmm. that lots of movies use of like some kind of childlike playful spirit is around and it's like a way to show you that they're probably a child ghost or some kind of trickster and i enjoy when um we learn like that of just like little things like the ball and so many of the things we hear and see There is a payoff later. We might not always realize it at the time, Mm -hmm. but all of those sounds, it turns out they came from something specific, which I I appreciate that as well. And I think I like this movie a lot, and I didn't get bothered by the pacing because I always think that horror movies, especially haunted house ones, show too much. Mm. And when I see the ghost or the demon or whatever, it stops being scary to me. Because I think the idea of the unseen is is so much scarier. It, right. Nothing on screen can be as scary as what you think of in your mind. It's true. And it's not like I'm putting together an image of some terrible demon like, oh, that's the scary thing. It's the unknown. Yeah. If I hear something in the house and I don't know what it is, that is scarier. Yeah. And like seeing something out of the corner of your eye. Right. And like those kinds of moments. I'm easily startled. We know this. But like if you see something out of the corner of your eye, I jump and like take a minute to like calm myself down because Mm -hmm. it's like, what was it? Was it a ghost? Was it Indy walking by the room? Probably a ghost. (laughs) It's probably a ghost. Or maybe just me. And it does get into that kind of the psychological dread because Mm -hmm. we take enough time with this man who has been like essentially broken, right? He's Mm -hmm. starting his life anew. And... We spend this time with him in this rising haunting 
And sometimes you do question, like, oh, maybe he's just not doing well, or mm-hmm. maybe this is something more. But I think emphasizing that kind of psychological impact and giving you the reactions of this one man, it roots it in a more personal way. Mm-hmm. But you still want it to be a little faster. Just like, just a tad. <laughs> That's fair. It was a pretty slow, drawn out beginning. Um, and I kind of found myself being like, okay, let's get to the haunting. Let's go. Like, that is the haunting. Yeah. I love the payoff of these things, though. Like, for one instance, I, early on, there's a lot of slow tracking shots through the house. Mm-hmm. The camera is just slowly moving around. And I understand if you're like, okay, let's go. We, we've seen the house now. But I like that first because it just gives you a, a sense of the setting because it's all taking place in this house. I want to mm-hmm. see the house. But as things go, we see those tracking shots become a little faster. Like throughout the movie, we see more of them. Mm-hmm. And it's not until later on in the movie that you realize this is a point of view. This, or at least that's what I took from mm-hmm. it, that that is the ghost's point of view. So when you have him walking through the house, it's kind of following John. Yeah. And then later in the movie, it's flying downstairs. It's very erratic. The camera starts moving and shaking more. And I think that's like a great formal touch. Like when we'll talk a little bit about the formal elements of how this movie was made and how I think that that leads to a, a successful spooky movie. But that was one of my favorites because... Initially, I was just like, okay, we're seeing a lot of this house. That's nice. We're setting setting the setting, I guess. Yeah. But it it wasn't until things get bigger that I realized what they were going for. I think there's a lot of that, a lot of sowing the seeds and then having a payoff later. And Mm -hmm. maybe you don't always connect those dots, but if you really look at it, and maybe you shouldn't have to look as hard as (laughs) I do look to, to see all of that. But I think maybe even subconsciously, it's setting you up for the scares that are happening later. Uh, There's definitely a lot of moments where at the end of the movie, I was like, oh, we saw that earlier. Or like, oh, that was just like there. And you see a lot of yeah things in the house that become really important later. Yeah, I think they're the use of uh, focus pulling sometimes, mm-hmm. meaning uh, what is in focus and what is blurred out changes throughout the shot. And we get some very obvious ones, like when he leaves the room and the piano key's not playing, and then it comes in and focuses on the piano key, and then piano plays itself. Yeah, and that's that was a, spooky. Okay, good. I thought that was a little, maybe one of the cheesier moments, but I have also used that in a, in a movie because <laughs> I was very influenced by this movie. I forget where I was going with that. Oh, focal points? Oh, sure. Yeah, the focus pulls. And there's instances where... The camera starts focused on John, but then the focus shifts away from him and starts focusing either on the foreground or Mm -hmm. the house in the background. And he kind of blends into the house, almost as the house is encompassing him because they're using the focus to show that the house is kind of this oppressive force, Mm -hmm. which I thought was was really clever. I definitely enjoyed... The like the long tracking shot that you were talking about through the house as he's moving in, mm-hmm. and it's just like the I guess the feeling of like one day people picked up and left and like left all of these heirlooms and everything in this house, and it just made it even creepier that he was moving in into basically someone else's house. Yeah, I guess most houses are someone else's house, but like but it feels more it like felt, it because it's still got all their stuff in it. Yep. And she even brings him like paintings and prints that used to hang in the house. So and it's I like, think that's very intentional, too, because he is in someone else's house. There is still a presence there. Yeah. So I like that by using the, the furniture and stuff, because if it's an empty house, maybe you feel like, oh, this is just a new home. Mm-hmm. But when you're moving into someone else's house and he really is moving into someone else's house. It's Joseph's house. It's Joseph's house. Did you feel like that tracking was a person following him or did it just more feel like a nice view of the house? It kind of felt like he was being watched. Mm -hmm. It was one of those things that, yeah, it felt like there was another presence there. And I mean, we know that there's a ghost, but um, it definitely felt like he wasn't alone alone. And so many of those shots were very wide. So you get to see huge portions of the room. And then those are juxtaposed with tight close-ups of characters' faces. So mm-hmm. it feels both like this house is big and looming and ominous, right. but still kind of oppressive and confining to the people. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it was a, a weird house. 
for sure. It was weird. Huh? It just felt like it kept going. Yeah. Like that whole top floor. I'm like, yeah, I can get why they didn't clean it for like 30 years. You get lost up there. Because who's going to go up three, four flights of stairs to get up there when you have like a huge main floor and a huge second floor? And so it was really interesting to like see the house kind of unfurl farther and farther and farther and get creepier the higher you go. It's almost fantastic in that way. There's just more and more and more. Yeah. And we don't even get to see that last room until there's the, I think, the red glass that breaks out. And he's yeah. like, there's no red glass, but wait. And then he tries to find his way it's up there. It's like up, 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 up. Up, upstairs. Up, upstairs. Yeah. And it also has a common element of like the creepy lady. A lot of these movies have a creepy lady who gives you some sort of foreboding warning in this one, there's that one woman who's like, that house doesn't want to be lived in. Yeah. That good creepy lady. She was creepy. Have you ever seen Poltergeist? No. I think that's peak of a creepy lady and calling in a medium. All of these things. Poltergeist is a very similar movie in so many mm -hmm. ways. It, a lot of haunted house movies are. Hmm. The music box, I think that was a fun element. Yeah. I feel like a lot of these movies have a main character who has one thing that they're obsessed with or that they love. and mm -hmm. then we can kind of see how this haunting is affecting them through that thing. Like Jack in The Shining writing mm -hmm. all the time. Here we have a composer. So having him be able to play the music that this haunted music box plays. Before yeah, we, that, that was, was nice element. that was fun. I enjoyed that as like a spooky element of him being like, I had never heard it before. I played it yesterday. <laughs> and yeah, that, that was like a fun addition to make it kind of composery. Like on brand, I guess. <laughs> Did you know? We'll get back to all of this very okay. soon. Based on a true story, apparently. Really? The writer who wrote this said pretty much each one of these things happened. From the bouncing ball, he was a composer. Oh. The person who wrote this originally. I think maybe as a book first, and then it got changed into this. But it was in Denver. He moved to this house and... First, it was bouncing balls, faucets turning on, <laughs> and uh, images of a dead child. And then he looked into it, and there was a very similar story to the one that unfolds here. It didn't have a, a famous person, but the person ended up being very rich. And they, yeah, so they say, at least, very true. Huh. Yeah. Spooky. Very spooky. You had said something earlier, and I think I can agree with the idea when... We're in a movie and we kind of just want to get past a certain point to like let yeah. the fun start. Yeah, yeah. And there's a part where we often want them to be like, okay, don't think about is it haunted or is it my mind playing tricks on me? Let's just get to it. Yeah. I think in this movie, they kind of do that because he believes there's a ghost. Yeah, pretty like much right, right away. away. And he's not adversarial or even scared of it initially. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's just more like, I need to know more about this, this thing, this person. Yeah, he's not scared. Why is that? Maybe because he like desperately wants to believe that his wife and child are still out there. That's what I thought too. Yeah, like he's he's really clinging to the fact that there's like an afterlife and that someone could be stuck in the present time and unable to like cross over whatever you believe in. Um, and like that he like desperately wants to know that he's gonna see his family again he might even think initially that that is his daughter yeah i think maybe he maybe she... he hopes that yeah. yeah she's coming back to play with her ball right <gasps> but then once he starts seeing those images of the boy and then we have that kind of misdirect for a while when we get into the fact finding portion mm -hmm. where there's a girl who got hit by a coal cart or something yeah we kind of go away and it turns out that's not the case but no. just a little misdirect and then even if he doesn't think it's his daughter, which may be the case initially, I think later on, he does believe he is helping the child, right? right? Because he, he calls out once he learns the name and everything. He's like, what more do you want from me? I'm doing yeah. everything you want. He's like, I'm trying here. I'm like, hey. And I do think that it comes into his guilt about not being able to save his child. Mm -hmm. His wife doesn't get mentioned nearly as much. No. but. He watches this happen. He watches frozen and stuck in a box. He cannot go out there and help his daughter. Mm -hmm. So now when he learns that there is another child who needs his help, he's willing to do whatever he can to do it. Right, because he's able to. Hmm. So did he get stuck in the box? Like, was the box, like, sealed shut? 
Like the telephone booth? Yeah. Oh, I don't think so. I think he's just looking and he's like, huh, what's happening there? And you don't think to go run out and warn your No, child. he like bangs on the door like he's trying to get out. Oh, I thought maybe he was just trying to like let them know, which I guess maybe he should have just opened and told them. But I think I took it as just like a moment of panic and not choosing your actions wisely. But maybe he couldn't figure out the door. Because like, I don't know. That's how I read that scene. Hmm. It's like him being unable to get out. And then like 30 seconds later, he's able to like push the door open and get out and run to his family. So I wasn't sure if it was like magic ghosts oh i didn't think so sealing him in there because he like bangs on the door real good and then all he has to do is just like press the door to get out i'll have to rewatch yeah. that i always just assumed that it was a moment of panic and he wasn't really like, mm. doing yeah no properly. that's just something that stuck with me because i was like did the ghost find him early oh because i feel like if i was sitting in my car and i saw something happening i might first be like hey hey yeah. before just getting out and going to do it right but i don't know Ghosts. Probably ghosts. Probably ghosts. When in doubt, ghosts. I also really liked that one scene where he's crying in bed. Mm-hmm. And we haven't heard about his family in a while. So then it kind of brings you back to like, oh, yeah, this guy's going through a lot. He's got we like a whole thing that. happening. Yeah. And then that banging starts again. Right. And I kind of took that as like his grief was being interrupted by joseph's grief yeah right and then he is going to try to deal with his grief by Mm -hmm. dealing with joseph right or joseph is like trying to distract him from his grief he's like hey stop being sad be sad about me (laughs) (laughs) and that banging i thought that was a a pretty effective sound yeah it's funny because at the beginning i wasn't sure if it was like a noise he could hear or if it was like horror movie soundtrack because you know how sometimes it's like that high oh, yeah, pitch nowadays, like, string noise or like the music tells you when yeah, to be scared or like that one. big like noise that they make so it's just like i wasn't sure if it was like movie noise or if it was him actually hearing it in the movie but i liked it but then we get the payoff as things go later mm-hmm. on we learn where that sound came from yeah Yeah, I loved how we had these kind of subtle and ambient noises at the beginning, and then they gradually intensify as the story progresses. And it's effectively doing a little bit of behind-the-scenes storytelling without Mm -hmm. even telling you, because the banging we see later on was from from him banging on the bathtub as he drowned. Right. And all of these things about, like, the ball comes back and it's wet because he drowned in a tub, and... Mm-hmm. I enjoyed. I don't know. I keep going back to that ball. Um, because like I, good. I like that he threw it off the the bridge. Right. Drove back, and the ball was there waiting for him. That was fun. And then as the plot progresses, we start getting into more of the mystery about it. I love the idea of when he goes to that other house where the body presumably is buried. Mm-hmm. The girl who lives in the room says that she saw like a sickly boy crawling through the floor. Oh, yeah. And that image when I was a child is the one that stuck with me. That's why so I can't much. stick my feet out of the end of the bed. Oh, because a sickly boy might grab them. Yeah. There's oh. monsters under the bed and they're going to like reach up and get your toes or well, your the, arms. There's no space under our bed. That's why we got this bed. <laughs> <laughs> no space for monsters. <laughs> Well, there actually, you know what? There is. Oh, yeah. There's that like... There is enough space for like one monster to lay down between the drawers. True. If they're like my size monster. Mm. Skinny monster. <laughs> or like a sickly boy. Yeah. could be down there. Yeah. Ooh, ooh. Scary. So I assumed when I suggested this movie to you that this kind of part would be your favorite. The mystery as we get into like who this boy was. Was it? Was that something you really liked about it? Like the mystery part? Yeah. Yeah. I know you love a good murder mystery. I do. You love I, twists and turns, I've heard. I love a twisty, turny thriller. Um, Yeah, this definitely delivered. Um, I think I enjoyed the little, like, knowledge drops that they give you um, and how you, you're kind of left on your own to really come up with who this child was 
and then at the end they like kind of confirm it for you i enjoyed that kind of delivery of it yeah and i think that kind of mirrors the movie's pacing in general Mm -hmm. right it's just sprinkling things at the beginning before you get the deluge towards the end yeah i liked you saw the wheelchair but you didn't really know whose wheelchair it was it was just creepy nothing creepier than an old-timey wheelchair Apparently, in the real world, he found a diary of a sickly boy who was confined into the room. So his whole duck diary was about how like oh. sad and lonely he was right. locked in this room. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, so I enjoyed the little like bits of knowledge you got to make your own conclusion, and then they like tell you what happens closer to the end in the big like finale scenes. And yeah, I I enjoyed the like feeling a bit like a detective as you're like, oh, there's a old timey wheelchair and oh, there's a music box and oh, he's like, there's a well and like what happened and there's like it used to be this huge mansion and then now it's not anymore. And like it was, yeah, it was kind of fun. And similarly, when you hear the banging, you see visions of water. And then when you get to see, I think it's around this point where he has a vision of the murder for the first time. Yeah. And then you start linking in all of those things that you had been seeing over the previous hour of like, oh, they all came from here. Yeah. Just like, it's a real nice mirror for how a murder mystery wraps up when you Mm -hmm. see, aha, this means this, and he got the medal from here, and he replaced him there, and now he's a senator. When it all comes together, I think that's always a fulfilling moment in in mysteries Uh or heist movies. But this does it with the sound design and some of those visual cues as well, which I thought was pretty clever. Yeah. I liked um, the first time we hear the sound, he goes down to the basement and like checks the pipes because that's like what would make that much metallic noise in a house like that. So yeah, I because I was like, that's exactly what I would have done. Oh, see, I always think that there's a boy banging on the bathtub and drowning. Oh, (laughs) And then again, I saw this when I was like six. So. It's interesting that that's where your brain goes first. <laughs> Me, I'm like, now it is. Is something leaking? Is like something like not airtight anymore? I need to go check all the pipes. Not that I really know where to find all the pipes. <laughs> <laughs> I just assume it's. Don't the... look too hard. There might be a boy buried down there. Ah, scary. How about the seance sequence? Oh, I liked that. I loved it. I love a good seance. Me too. Oh, man. There should be more seance movies. Well, most of the haunted house movies usually have a seance sequence. Although in recent years, a lot of the time, the seance sequence has been replaced with like ghost hunter sequences or video surveillance or what is it called? EVP stuff. Right. Listening to audio tape, which we do get in this as well. Yeah. But the seance was great. I love... uh, Automatic writing, I think, is such a fun idea. Yeah, that's so cool. And if you're not familiar, that's a thing that was used quite often where that's what we see in this movie where the seancer, the medium, the medium (laughs) is just writing and there's so much information coming through that she can get a word every now and then. And in this one, it was like Joseph and father and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I enjoyed that they didn't make the medium super like fortune tellery yeah yeah because a lot of times when you get a medium um and like a seance they're like an older lady with like a turban and like usually they're the creepy one but this had the creepy lady that worked in the office and then a relatively normal medium yeah i liked that i liked that because yeah usually the medium is the creepy one Mm -hmm. and everyone's like yeah okay she's gonna like talk to ghosts sure but she was like a really normal looking lady. Yeah. Did you appreciate their use of the ghost cone? Yeah, I didn't know what a ghost cone was. Yeah, I mean, I just made that up. <laughs> I don't know what that was. I no. usually know my spiritualism movement yeah. stuff, but I don't know what that cone was I all about. I know more about like candles and like salt, but I don't really understand what a ghost cone is. Hey, listeners, if you know what the ghost cone was for, let us know because I'm actually very interested. And by ghost cone, we mean. There was a kind of aluminum-looking cone that was on the desk. It was put in the middle of the table, yeah. Yeah. I don't really understand what it was. I'm sure we've listened to an episode of Laura that talks all about them, but I've forgotten. Ghost cones. (laughs) And we do get the 
audio tape that he listens to after and it's a bit of a different take because now we have that same kind of ghost voice when it's Mm -hmm. on video or on audio tape where it kind of comes in and out and it's like yeah that was kind of neat this was more just like a a child whispering or yeah i enjoyed her writing i enjoyed her ghost cone even though we don't really know what it is and um i enjoyed her like husband i think the assistant and how like he knew what was gonna happen (laughs) he like had all the papers all stacked up ready to go and like yeah i liked that whole scene i wonder if this was it's probably not the first but one of the first movies to employ audio tape in Mm -hmm. ghost stuff i can't think of an earlier one but there probably was yeah having a whole recording of it is crazy because now that's kind of the staple in haunted house movies and like you go back and you listen to like the background noise yeah and then you hear and you're like oh there it said i am a dead boy and please avenge my dad it's like and it's like yeah my dad murdered me (laughs) and you're like that's that's not what's happening and they play it really slowly and like the dust and wind lines up perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> so then we get into the portion later, which is usually my least favorite part of most of these types of movies. I hate it in Poltergeist when we, I probably shouldn't say what happens <laughs> in the big finale of Poltergeist because maybe we might do it and you've yeah, never seen I've it. I've never seen it. And I'm sure some people, although if people are listening to the Changeling episode, I'm guessing they've seen poltergeist but <laughs> there's some big things that happen that i'm like eh, that's too much and in this one i think i just don't know how to end a movie like this mm. like how do you build to a climax i don't have a better answer than what they did but it ends kind of in a poltergeisty fashion where it just kind of burns down yeah Which I think is a good way to go. I think that's a great way to do it. Because like, what are you going to do with this house now that you've like confirmed that there's a ghost in it? Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to want to live in it. That ghost doesn't want to be lived in. Or not, the house doesn't want to be lived in. So yeah, I think. Joseph doesn't want roommates. No, he's like, this is. Oh, he kind of does. I think he likes John because John was uh, helping solve his murder. True. Yeah, he likes John. But I I like that the ghost activity got so crazy that it burnt down the house. Yeah. Also, we never really talked about uh, Senator Carmichael if he is in fact a senator. Mhm. He starts off like just like a dick cuz yeah, why not? And also though when John first approaches him, he does come up running like a crazy man. He does. He comes up in a car and says like, "Hey, you're you your father killed someone yeah. and now you're a changeling. And of course, the senator's like, this, uh, this must be some sort of extortion or something like yeah. that. So it makes sense that he thinks those things. And then upon learning everything, mm-hmm. he has to take in this information because he didn't do anything. He kind of gets played as the bad guy. But he was just a boy. He never knew any of this stuff. I yeah. assume he didn't know any of this. It's not like he switched places with someone in a hospital. And was like, you go be the orphan now. Yeah. He just was adopted at a young age and grew up and that was that. And at an age where you don't really have many memories. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of brings in that paying for the sins of the father thing. Mm -hmm. Because John accosts him and says, this life is not yours. Right. But if someone told me that, like, what do you mean? Of course it is. I've lived this life. That doesn't make any sense. This is my life. Why would you think your father would do such a... Yeah. And I guess we didn't even talk about that. That's the true horror of this movie. Mm -hmm. More than the ghost or anything, it's that a father murders his own son for the money. (sighs) And how he does it, too, was was pretty brutal. Yeah. Like pulling his feet up like that. Yeah. And that method of murder... I feel like we wouldn't see in a movie today. No. It would either be more brutal of like, look at this crazy thing, or they wouldn't show it or something like that. But Or it would be something like poisoning. Yeah. It would either be more or less. Yeah. It would be something subtle like poisoning or like stab him I, 40 times. I buried him alive. <laughs> yeah. But the idea of just pulling his ankles up so he can't move because he's uh doesn't have like range of motion yeah. as, as most people would. So he just... Yeah, he couldn't get up. That that was that was tough. so sad. It was that was that was a hard moment to watch for mm-hmm. sure. And yeah, I feel like they're either like really intense or really subtle now. 
we don't often get to see something like prolonged like drowning yeah and this seemed so much more i guess realistic and visceral because of that yeah yikes but don't then, murder your children oh it's good advice no matter how much money they have good tips <laughs> yeah good it tips. is a hot parenting tip if there's me. one thing you take away from the podcast today it's don't murder your children yeah come on guys just quit it <laughs> but then it gets into um i guess some sort of astral projection because 70s horror movies, and I know this is 1980, but it's on the tail end of that. There was a lot more of this kind of spiritualism stuff. Astral projection was a thing that came up more often. Uh, books about that sort of thing were more in the zeitgeist, so yeah. it didn't seem as odd. But now it was a bit odd mm-hmm. that the senator is kind of walking up the stairs and I guess projecting himself into that room. Right, because he's probably having memories of his life in that house. Oh, well, I didn't even think about that. I assume that it was just him imagining that house again, and it was all kind of happening at once. I kind of took it that Joseph was almost pulling him in. Now that they had this connection with the the metal mm-hmm. and that he knew about who he actually was right. and how Joseph was the, the actual son, I kind of felt that that somehow kind of drew his spirit perhaps into the home yeah and then when he came to the realization saw what had happened in in real life that gave him the heart attack in his actual body right i don't know i don't know this the ending is it was a little ambiguous yeah so much happened after such a slow build that i don't really know and Frankly, I kind of forget parts of the yeah. end because there's so much going. It was very fast. Like mm-hmm. from a very, very slow start, the end was just like boom, 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 boom. And yeah. like all of this stuff is happening. And now the house is unfair at the end. Yeah. So yeah, it was totally, totally. I just remember the music box survives. Yeah. Yeah. The house burns down and we just hear the music, which mm-hmm. kind of gives you the sense that all is at peace now? Yeah. Or is it meant to be ominous that Joseph's like out there to get you? I don't think so. I kind of felt like he was at peace. That's why Because he got that, as well. the other boy, he got him back. But why does he have to pay? Yeah, I The don't senator know. didn't really do anything. He's kind of a dick. And chances are, if you're a senator, you've been a bad person at some point. <laughs> like, you don't get to be that powerful. Like, I, of course, that's, that's my way of thinking. Right. You don't get to be that powerful without doing bad things. Yeah. I... I don't know why he had to pay, but he had to. It's kind of the sins of the father, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like a family debt now. And I think the boy didn't care. Joseph didn't care who paid. Yeah, perhaps. He's like, I just want someone else to die. Maybe that's kind of the end of the saga. Like the last thing yeah. was the senator. And then now he's dead. And he did live a long life. He was an old guy. He was an old man. And now that's it. There's nothing more left of it. Well, man. Do you have any kind of last thoughts on the changeling? Um, I thought it was fun. It was definitely a good watch. And I see a lot of like current horror movie things in it. So it was kind of fun to watch. Um, Yeah, I'm like pretty satisfied with that ending too. Like I didn't feel like, oh, it should have ended a different way. So yeah, watch the changeling. That's my final thought. Oh, a recommendation. Yeah. Nice. I liked it. I just didn't love it. Sure. Yeah. Is this another like seven? Yeah. You say every movie I bring is a seven. Seven, seven, seven. You're like, I liked it, but I didn't love it. Yeah. What about you? Any final soliloquies? No, I feel like I've soliloquized (laughs) enough, but I think I was on to something when I was a kid and said this was a standout movie because the more I think about it, the more clever it is. Mm-hmm. And it's clever in ways that I appreciate as a former low-budget filmmaker because <laughs> they were doing so many clever tricks. Mm-hmm. And not like camera tricks, which although they had a couple of those too, but that slow build, each moment of that comes back. Mm-hmm. Like having a payoff to all of the things in a haunted house movie and having it mirror the mystery part in that way. I think that's really clever. I think the use of all of those formal techniques that we talked about earlier, that kind of elevates it as well. Mm -hmm. And then, although it didn't invent all of these things, those kind of horror beats that I was talking about, it's such a clear example and a good example of how that can be successful. 
And formulaic is often used as like, oh, it's a bad movie. It's formulaic. But if you follow that formula and you do fun things with it, mm-hmm. which I think this movie does, that's what makes classics. I think a lot of classic films are formulaic, but they do it in new and interesting ways or they perfect that way. And I think this kind of does a good balance of both. Hmm. So, yeah, I, I love it. I think it, it's a very influential film in a lot of ways, a kind of underappreciated film. and. For Canadian horror, which was kind of the theme, Mm -hmm. I do think it is a landmark of Canadian horror for sure. Okay. Go watch The Changeling. Although, yeah, you should have watched it because we just ruined the whole thing. Yeah, we we spoiled it for you. But But like we said last time, it's available for free on YouTube. The link is in the show notes. So go check it out. Yeah. And Andy said it's actually a good version of it. Yeah. It's not like some junk that is off of a super old VHS tape. It's in high def and it looks good. Or like someone's phone recording their TV. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) An actual version. There's actually a few of them out there and they all look fine. Well, we will see you next week when I reveal our uh, movie for the week after and we give you some spoiler free things of the week. Fortnite. Things of the fortnight. And uh, we get real excited. Okay. (laughs) I don't know. I kind of didn't have an end to that sentence. We're doing a theme though, aren't we? We are doing a theme. What theme is it? So the theme is summer movies. Yeah. Or summer things. Summer things, I guess. Yeah. Summer. The theme is summer. Yeah. It's summertime. So we're going to do summer stuff for the next couple of weeks. Yeah. So... I don't know. Put on your flip-flops, pop that top off, and listen to I Love This, You Should Too. Yeah. See you next week. Bye. Bye.